the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Thanks for joining us on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. And for the next half hour, we are going to be talking about managing your money, growing your money, how you invest your money, planning for retirement, planning for financial independence. Josh and the Aptus team are located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, 614-917-1040, their number at the office. You can also find them on the web at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Why is that relevant? Because you can set up a free consultation with the Aptus team. And if you don't have a plan, now's the best time to get one. And Josh, when we talk about retirement, a big piece of retirement, and there are many pieces to it, often is Social Security. And there are expectations that people have with what Social Security will be. And what I've noticed in talking to people who are getting ready to retire They see it out there on the horizon, and then they hear the headlines come from Washington, D.C., that Social Security is going to be insolvent, that Social Security might not be there to the extent that they want it to be there, and that there might be one party or another party that's going to finagle Social Security, reduce it, or raise the retirement age, or whatever. And we even see headlines from other countries where people riot over a change in the retirement age. And I've seen people get really like go from zero to 60 in terms of anger and passion when you talk about their social security. And I tend to think that uh, managing people's wealth like you do as a financial advisor and uh, an investment counselor, that maybe social security isn't a big piece of a lot of your clients, but I know you identify with the emotion that is often attached to that issue. Yeah, and I think, I don't know exactly when this took place, but at some point we started actually calling these programs entitlement spending. Ooh, that's true. Entitlement programs. Yes. And I think words are important. So how can you not be upset if you say I'm entitled to something and then you might take it away? Yeah. Uh, and, And the other thing, you know, we can't ignore that we're paying into this. So for you to say it's not going to be there when I get there, you did one of two things. One of three things. You either lied to me in the beginning and you're running a Ponzi scheme. Number two, you came up with a program that isn't actually a viable program or you've been stealing from it. Those are the only three options in people's heads. The reality of the program, although some of those other things I would say are arguably true, we can't ignore this simple mathematical equation that Mm -hmm. is Social Security. It was started back in 1935. They called it the Older Workers Retirement Act. They changed the name not long after that to Social Security. The whole intention of the program was to 
help older workers get out of the workforce during the Great Depression and not go destitute while allowing younger workers to come into the working world because unemployment was at all-time highs. So now we have this situation where we can substantiate or sustain people's you know, position in the economy. However, at the time, you couldn't collect it until you were 65, and the average age in 1935 of life expectancy was 63. Pretty well funded. Yeah, right? sure. And you had, and I might be wrong in these stats, but I believe you had something like 11 or 12 people paying in for every one person collecting, and clearly that person wasn't collecting very long. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to today, those numbers aren't even close to the same. No. Now you have life expectancies in the, you know, in the 80s, mm-hmm. arguably. People are still able to retire on Social Security between the ages of 62 and 70, 67 being the predominant full retirement age for most. So that's only gone up by two years, but the life expectancy has gone up by, I don't know, let's call it 20. And the workforce, uh, you know, with baby boomers retiring, the amount of people collecting versus the amount of people paying in is a lot more. So I think, you know, we need to address that or it is, in fact, going to run out. I mean, it's just a fact. Yeah. But nobody wants to be the one to have that difficult conversation. No, there's this uh, acronym out there, NIMBY, N-I-M-B-Y, which stands for not in my backyard. And that comes up when somebody wants to build like a prison. Yeah, great idea. Build more prisons, some people might say, but just don't build it in my backyard. And as I approach retirement, and it's out there on the horizon, not imminent, but I, you know, really hope and I'll be upset if Social Security's not there for me. But I have daughters who are all under the age of 20, and I just would never tell them, hey, don't worry, it'll be there for you. You guys have to come up with a plan on your own. But there is this idea, like, where's the cutoff? Like, okay, you're 60, you have every right to expect Social Security. Okay, you're 50, like, Sorry, you're not going to get it, or you might get it if you're 40. Like, I don't know how our government ever balances or institutes an age where they just say, all right, if you're X age, it'll be there for you. If you're one below that, it's not going to be there for you. And I know you and I have talked about it before, and I don't want to misquote you, but I think you've said uh, you're somewhat skeptical that it will ever fully sunset and go away. Yeah, I don't see it. Um and that's not to say never. I don't think I'll see it in my lifetime. Because of the political toll that would take on whichever party is deemed to be responsible for it? Absolutely. And I also think it's it's somewhat critical for the virility of the U.S. economy. Uh, I mean, we can talk about how Social Security may or may not be there, but a large percentage, I would argue over half at least, is not just hoping for it. But they're relying on it yeah. for more than half, I would guess, of their retirement yeah. income. So you remove that, and we're going to have some really big problems with older Americans being impoverished. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever talked to somebody who's retiring exclusively on, so, exclusively on Social Security, a lot of them would argue they're already impoverished. Yeah. So take that away, and then and then what happens? Now, what we do to change it is really the big decision. And it doesn't appear to me that we have anybody in Washington that's willing to have that hard conversation with saying, all right. Here's what we have available. We can raise the retirement age at a certain age so we can make cutoffs. And maybe for your 20-year-old daughter, now full retirement age is 77 years old. Who mm-hmm. knows? But at least we know. Um, and by doing so, now we know that it will stabilize this situation. We can raise the amount that we pay into it. Mm-hmm. So currently we're paying in about 6.2% and then our employers match that. Okay, so we can raise that to 7 or 75 I'm sure everybody would be really happy about their paychecks (laughs) dropping. Um, We can 
change the inflation adjustments, which I'm sure everybody would be really happy about in the midst of our current inflationary environment. Sure, the check go up. We can change the calculation, meaning, okay, yes, it'll be there, but you're going to get less, and that has no bearing on your age. We're just going to start with a less dollar amount. Um, or, and the big fear, and this is where it gets really, you, you said earlier, I believe, that, you know, or maybe it was in the previous segment, that there's a philosophical difference between, you know, Democrats and Republicans. This is where we really get to that philosophical difference. And that is something called means testing, or you'll hear it worded in different er- in different circumstances. But I think we're experiencing some of that means testing right now in the housing market as we see that now you can actually get a lower rate if yeah. you have a lower credit. So means testing as it would relate to Social Security would be you were very disciplined. You had delayed gratification. So you were instead of going and buying the fancy car, you bought a reasonable car, you saved the money, you built up this huge nest egg, hopefully a huge nest egg. Or listen, if you spent your whole life doing it, it's it's huge to you no yeah. matter what that number is. And because you did that and you did all the right things, you don't get Social Security, but the person that blew all the money and bought the fancy car, they get Social Security, which is what we're seeing right now. With the mortgage rates, mortgage mortgage costs, rather, the cost of a mortgage, yeah, we are. It's really odd. You know, we've been taught kind of our whole entire life. uh, The general rule is do things right because things will be easier for you because you've done things right. Pay your credit cards off in full. Don't carry credit card balance. Get a high credit score. Now, as of May 1st, those things don't really work to your advantage. They Well, they work to your advantage in a lot of ways. I don't mean to say a, a bad credit score is a good thing, but when it comes to mortgage fees, not a good thing. So uh, that's a little off the path that we were on, but nevertheless, uh, there are things that change depending upon who has the power to change them, and that is one of those things. So as you think about saving for retirement, as you contemplate taking advantage of the free consultation that you can get with Josh and his team to get to know them, have them get to know you, determine if you're a fit for each other, which my wife and I determined that, and we're very happy aptest clients, you can make the call to their office and set up that appointment, 614-917-1040. You can make your appointment online by going to their website. Their website is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. There's a perception out there that when you retire, your costs go down. You're not commuting to work anymore. Maybe you have your house paid off. You don't have to pay for employee-related expenses. Like maybe your clothing budget goes down or whatever. Uh, is that true? Is that a perception that people can count on when they get to retirement, that their costs go down? And then the next part of that is, okay, then uh, if my costs are going to go down, then what percentage of my current income should I plan to need or plan to uh, have at my disposal in retirement? Yeah, there's a bunch of rule of thumbs. Uh, so the, the old rule of thumb was between 70 and 80% of your pre-retiree income you will need in retirement. Now, it's a rule of thumb. Annually. 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 Yeah. And I think it's just silly because everybody's lives are different. For example, if I know the year I retire, I'm going to pay my house off. Mm-hmm. It would be naive for me not to ignore that reduction in my monthly expenses. Sure. If I knew that I was saving 20% into my 401k every year, I'm not going to be saving into my 401k when I retire. So there's 20% right there that I get back into my pocket, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm self-employed and I'm paying both sides of Social Security, there's 15% between Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. Well, if I was saving 20% into my retirement plan and 15% was going to Social Security, that's 35% right there. So 65 is a good number for me before we even start talking about other things. So it's important that these are all rules of thumb and we need to negotiate um, and kind of navigate those. However, you asked a, a very specific question. That was, you know, what do people spending 
typically look like in retirement. And conventional wisdom was always you're going to need, you know, whatever inflation is, 3% per year more than you did the year before. Mm -hmm. And while inflation obviously impacts the way that you, you know, you live your life, it's been my experience that very rarely does somebody come in on an annual basis and go, it's January 1st, here for my extra 3%. You know, that's just not (laughs) the way we live our lives, right? Right. So usually the way that it works is you'll keep kind of a consistent amount that you receive. And then periodically you'll go, well, you know, we decided to take a vacation, so I need an extra five grand. Mm-hmm. Or last couple of years, for example, groceries are through the roof. I'm going to have to kick it up by a couple hundred bucks a month. That is not a consistent 3% per year. The other thing that we've learned very recently is there's this concept that apparently has validity, and I've seen it uh, in my own practice, something called the retirement smile. And the idea of the retirement smile is if you think about a smile – on, it's high on one side, mm-hmm. high on the other, goes down in the middle. Re- people's retirement expenses start very high in the first couple years of retirement. You do all the things that you wanted to do, all the travel, all the things. And then we start getting a little up there in age. And if you've been around anybody who's got up in age, they usually start traveling a little less, mm-hmm. don't want to get too far from their doctors. Sure. They feel comfortable in their hometown. Spending actually declines. And then towards the end of life, those medical expenses tend to pick up and exp- spending goes back sure, up. Or end of life care and things like that. But if you do the math, adjusted for inflation, so I'm not saying that you're not going to need inflation adjustments, but on an inflation-adjusted basis, if you take that smile and you flatten it out, people's expenditures actually go down by about 1% per year throughout their lifetime. It's just bookended on both sides. And then you accommodate for inflation and it's going up, but it's not going up by, it's going up by inflation less 1%. Okay. Interesting. Josh and the Aptus team are located in Lewis Center. Their offices are just off Route 750, 614-917-1040 if you'd like to get a hold of Josh and his team. So here's some numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics about what people who are 65 or older spend on average per year. Okay. I'm going to be surprised if this... Uh, anything surprises you. Uh, as you might expect, uh, those who spend less than $10,000 a year, small number, 2.1%. I'm just going to do a cutoff kind of in the middle. 60% of people spend less than $40,000 a year, 40000 or less. Okay. Okay. And 40% spend more than $40,000 a year. And the biggest percentage of that, 28%, uh, of the total population is spending uh, less than $75,000 a year. We have a relative few, I would say, about 13% of retirees are living what I think most people would perceive as the really good life. They're spending $75,000 a year or more. But let's think about that for a second. $75,000 a year or more, 13%, that doesn't sound like a normal dispersion of wealth in your earning years, right? So that speaks to regardless of the amount of wealth you have, you probably don't need 70 80% of your pre-retirement income, right? Because we know that more than 13% of the population in the United States makes more than 75%. We mm-hmm. already know that. Mm-hmm. We, we mm-hmm. know that to be true. So that does not shock me. Uh, and what might shock you is regardless of someone's net worth, those numbers don't change a lot. So for example... I can think of numerous people off the top of my head who are clients of mine who are 
millionaires, if not multimillionaires, that are living on less than $40,000 a year. And that comes as a huge shock to people. The biggest challenge they have is, I have to take minimum required distributions. I don't want the money. I don't need the money. What can I do with it? And I've asked all of these people, what is the logic behind that? Why Why are you living? Because a lot of people would say you're living like a pauper. Why are you compared- living so modestly? Yeah, why? Yeah. And their answer to a, to a T is always the same. I've lived my whole life conservatively. And as a result of that, my life has been simple. And I like my life simple. Hmm. I've had all the things in my life. I've had the fancy cars. I've had all the stuff. And it didn't bring me any enjoyment. All it did was bring me more trips to when you have five cars, you got to go to the mechanic five times as much as one. Yeah. Yeah. When you have a big house, it's more to X. It's more of this. And, you know, people say, well, if you got a big house, you got to I wouldn't want to clean it. I assure you they weren't cleaning it. They were paying somebody to clean it. But then that's an additional expense that they said is just kind of frivolous and unnecessary. And if you have a two million dollar net worth or three million dollar net worth, you probably don't have house payments, car payments, all you have is utilities and taxes. If you were only taking money out of your investments for nothing but just enjoyment, how much money would you really need? Now, that's different for everybody. My wife would tell you I probably need a lot, (laughs) and she would need very little, but how much would you really need, right? So that's why it's very important to structure your retirement accordingly because, you know, we can talk about whether you should pay your house off and what how that applies to this, uh, what are the tax implications of mm-hmm. living on 75 versus 40? There are some huge advantages to having a low monthly requirement in retirement. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. And if you say, wow, that sounds good to me, I'd like to get in a position where I have a big nest egg there and I'm spending modestly in retirement. Well, that requires discipline. And now is the best time to start ingraining that discipline if you haven't before. And it also, in my view, uh, kind of emphasizes the necessity of having somebody who is really on top of your retirement. For the longest time, my wife and I did it ourselves. And let me just tell you, I think we did okay at it. We didn't do uh, catastrophically bad at it. But the one thing we didn't have was peace of mind about the fact that we were doing it right. Uh, For me, having somebody who is legally obligated to be on the case and be doing things that, as I said, he's legally obligated to do for my benefit That gave me the peace of mind that I didn't have when we were doing it ourselves. Any fiduciary will offer that to you. Josh and his team are fiduciaries at Aptus, 614-917-1040, to take advantage of the free consultation that they offer you. You can also set up your appointment online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. I find that to be kind of a remarkable uh, awareness of people that they have the means if they wanted to, you know, quote unquote, go hog wild and spend a bunch of money in retirement. But they've recognized that they had those things, and I don't know, maybe it's a desire to pass it on to their children, their grandchildren, or whatever, but I just find that to be um, kind of an, an ende- more than kind of, a very endearing mindset to not spend everything you have, even though if you wanted to, you could. It's life's greatest paradox, right? For anybody listening who has never been able to buy all the stuff they want... <laughs> They go, well, I'd like to find out for myself, yes, right? Yes, But you have to find out for yourself before you realize that you didn't need it to begin with. You know, if you're into watches, you want to have a Rolex or whatever your fancy watch is before you realize it's just a watch. If you're into cars, you want to have a really fancy car before you realize, well, maybe it's just a car. Now, for everybody who's listening and saying, well, that all sounds good. Are you really teaching us to be paupers and live off of nothing? 
I assure you I have clients that have no problem spending mm-hmm. all sorts of money and they really enjoy it. Think of the uh you know the clients that would be the professional athlete spenders, sure. right? They like spending sure. and I, there's nothing wrong with that and I I'm not somebody who wants to live you know on $2000 a month either. So I I totally understand. All I'm suggesting is those numbers really don't shock me because I would say it's representative of my client base. Yeah, and two, we've chatted today and in other shows about uh, that decision. Like there are some decisions that are compelled. You have a time where you have to take Social Security, and I don't know, maybe that works the same with uh, other investments, or maybe you have to make – I know it works that way when you come to distributing some of your assets to – your kids, there's a time where you have to do it, and if you die before that time, then that messes up, or not die, but it messes up your Medicaid. I know we dealt with my parents on that kind of stuff. So what I'm getting at is that um, in terms of Social Security, uh, do you find that when people retire, most of your clients, like, that's it, no more work, I'm done, or do you have people who quote-unquote retire and still have a part-time job or maybe even need a part-time job to augment what they have saved for retirement? A hundred percent. Yeah. And there's some some caveats you want to look at there before you're the age, the full retirement age that applies to you. So that's somewhere between 66 and 67. Before you reach that age, if you go to work and collect Social Security, there is an income threshold before your Social Security will actually start being reduced. And for easy math, let's just say that 20,000 bucks roughly for every two dollars you make over that. They take a dollar of your social security back. Mm. So, you know, what you don't want to do is say, well, I'm going to go keep working, making $70,000 a year, but I'm going to take my social security at 62 because I think it might run out because sorry, but it's going to get all gobbled back away from you anyway. And it's going to act like you never took it to begin with. So it's not like you, you know, lose your credits. But once you're 66 or 67 and you say, you know what? I want to keep working. Why would I quit working? But nobody in my family has ever lived past the age of 73. Well, then absolutely start collecting Social Security, mm-hmm. bank that money, put it in whatever you want to do, right? And for some people, collecting Social Security might be the way that they need to go take on that passion project, that job, that whatever it is. I've made a lot of money my whole career, but I've always wanted to be a XYZ. Mm-hmm. But that XYZ doesn't really pay a whole lot. So I'm going to go do that, but Social Security will enable me between the two. I'm, I'm okay. So it's not always the right decision or the wrong decision. And, I, and unfortunately, Bruce, I hear a lot of these kind of anecdotal things where people say, well, I was talking to my friend and he told me you better take Social Security at X age because of yeah. insert one out of 19 things you should be thinking of. And unfortunately, people base their decisions on that. So you got to ask the right question. Yeah, we've chatted before about the fallacy of kind of grading or deciding what you should do by what somebody else should do and evaluating your own success at it by, you know, what other people say they made. And a lot of times that's not even true. When it comes to one word that keeps coming up as we talk about uh, reaching financial independence and the work that you do on behalf of your clients at Aptus is planning. And it's not just planning to save and it's not just being disciplined in saving. Um, I'm curious as people approach retirement, they're are um, oftentimes uh, a great desire. There is oftentimes a great desire to pass some of that along to grandchildren or whatever. And that brings into the equation estate planning, trust, and all those kinds of things. For people who are approaching retirement and a little bit of time that we have left, like is there, a, is there a period of time in their life where they should be starting to think that? Or do those things change so quickly that you should put that off until like way late after you're retiring? I mean, the sooner the better you should start, you should start educating yourself. 
because there are certain things that have timelines. And if you miss those time windows, then you've probably put yourself in a disadvantaged position where you might not be able to do some of the things that you could have really helped yourself with. Now, am I suggesting that everybody should run out at the age of 22 and get a, you know, Medicaid spend down trust to make sure that when they go into a nursing facility that they, you know, they have their assets protected? Of course not. That would be cumbersome, foolish, and not helpful. But I do suggest that, you know, if, if you have a significant asset base, and what would be, be a significant asset base? I mean, if, you, if you're sitting on a half million or a million bucks, and even if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, which is pretty young, yeah. you should 100% be speaking with, you should be incorporating an estate planning attorney in with your financial planning. And we, of course, can help you make that arrangement if you don't already have somebody. Yeah. And Josh has talked about integrating, you know, your attorney, your state planner, your financial planner, a lot of things. Think of it as a team and a well-managed team is a successful team. And that's what we want to set you up for. That's what they are about at Aptus is getting you to retirement, to financial independence, um, being a winner, being a winning team. Their number is 614-917-1040. Their web address is Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Take advantage of the free consultation that they offer you. Get to know them. They'll get to know you. Again, they're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, just a bit north of 270 and 23. And Josh, we'll see you again next week. You as well. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for joining us on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. And for the next half hour, we will be talking about planning for building toward financial independence in retirement. That's what it's about. You've worked hard and you certainly want to grow whatever it is you have saved. And if you haven't saved, well, it's time to get started. And that's what we'll be talking about today. You can reach out to Josh and the Aptus team to understand answers to the volatility that is out there, reactions, and have a plan, a blueprint, if you will, for the volatility in our market now. We have high inflation. We have rising interest rates. It's a a compilation of market conditions we haven't seen in almost four decades. So get answers from a professional, from a fiduciary, someone who is legally obligated to do what is best for you. Set up your free consultation with no obligation at all by calling the Aptus office at 614-917-1040. You can also set up your appointment online by going to their website at aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. So here's a story, Josh, that caught my eye. An NBA player named Antoine Walker. The headline says he blew $108 million in career earnings by wanting to be like Jay-Z, Puff Daddy, and other rappers. So... I find it hard to believe anybody could go bankrupt after signing a $108 million contract. But I do occasionally see headlines about lottery winners who go bankrupt. And is there a, is that a common story for people who come into sudden, almost incomprehensible amounts of money? It's, it's just absolutely common. Really? All the time. Yeah. And one thing I'd really like in that article to, to read if they had it, which they don't, is what he bought, because that's the most fun thing to read. Yeah, and it is. I, I encourage everybody to go online and look up what, you know, Nicolas Cage went bankrupt at one point, or at least darn near. Mm-hmm. Look up what he purchased, and it's just fun to read. I mean, you know, $350,000 dinosaur bones, the list just goes on and on and on, right? Yeah. I think the phenomenon here is when you think of the number $108 million, how could I possibly spend $108 million? Now, also think about if someone grew up with no money, 
and now they have $108 million. There's no way I could pour enough water out of that bucket to make it go empty, right? I wouldn't think so. Other than you can. Um, and, you know, Shaq actually talks openly about this. He said the first time he got money in his pocket, he spent like $2 million in the first weekend of his bonus. And after taxes, his bonus was actually on like $1.8 million. So it was like $200,000 oh, wow. in the hole. Because, you know, you're buying houses for your friends and family. You're buying multiple cars in one day. The list just goes on and on. And, and you know, unfortunately, I've had or fortunately, I've had the pleasure of working with uh, some lottery winners. But unfortunately, I've seen their spending habits. And, you know, I can help you direct the money and I can even, you know, spit some wisdom at you. But ultimately, it's your discipline that's going to keep you on the straight and narrow. And unfortunately, every lottery winner I've ever had has within a period of three years spent every nickel they won in the lottery. Wow. Now, see, when I saw this headline, I thought, okay, what happened here is he couldn't have possibly had a, anybody in his life who was putting a check on spending I can't even fathom. It's hard for me to believe that if you spent $108 million, you wouldn't be in the course of obviously wasting some of that money, acquiring assets that it would at least be worth something on the back end. But I know you, I'm a client of Aptus, and I know uh, your strategies are very, very sound. So I'm surprised to hear that you've had lottery winners who, what, they just didn't follow what you told them, didn't want to set money aside, didn't want to keep it away from where they could get their hands on it. Yeah, people who haven't kind of grown into the money, meaning that, you know, they've it's taken them a long time, you know, pain, sweat, tears mm -hmm. to get the money that they have, where they become very protective of it. When it's a flash in the pan, they assume that that's the way that money is made. It's made by a flash in the pan. And you can also look this up. Look up, you know, Dave Ramsey did a lot of research recently out of his organization about what the average millionaire looks like. And I hate to break the news for everybody who's cynical. They did not get it overnight. They didn't inherit it. It was not given to them. It was built up over a long time of discipline, discipline savings, and logical investing strategies. So when you look at folks like this or the lottery winners that I'm talking about, a lot of times where the money goes, you know, they start with a million bucks and somebody comes up to them and says, you know, hey, uh, I got this really good idea for a pizza shop mm -hmm. and it's just going to take 400,000 bucks to get it set up. And this person's never run a pizza shop before. They might not even know how to make pizza. They just like pizza. So it sounds like, okay, hey, my buddy's got a bunch of money now. So I'm going to go ask him for money to start this pizza shop because I hate my job. And then the 400 grand's gone, poof, in a matter of 18 months. Or, you know, this, my other friend's got this really good idea. He's, he knows a lot about this thing. And he told me that we can start doing this. Well, there's another 200 grand. And then, you know, I've always wanted, and this is a good part of it. So I'm not knocking this. You know, I've always, my parents have helped me out dramatically. So I'm going to pay off their house mm -hmm. or do whatever. And that's all good stuff. But by the time we pay taxes, the three items that I just said, you're broke. You're all out of money. So what should you have done with it? First, I always advocate having some fun. So if you get a million bucks, take a hundred grand of it, go buy something stupid, whatever it is, make you, I mean, you got a windfall, enjoy it, right? Yeah. I mean, don't, that's like getting an A on your report card and saying, well, I didn't get an A plus, so I suck. I mean, that's <laughs> just foolish, right? Yeah. If, you, if you, you do something fun, then pay your taxes because I've seen people go upside down on taxes too. Then do some really boring, logical things that are going to make a difference in your life for the rest of your life. And then if you want to try one of these crazy ideas, do it with maybe like 5 or 10%. Protect yourself from yourself. Unfortunately, that's not what usually happens. No, it's not. And I hearken back to years ago, I was uh, sent to cover a bankruptcy hearing in the state of Ohio. Mike Tyson had purchased a property in Ohio, and he was in arrears 
on it in the course of that bankruptcy hearing, they were showing him clearly a very high-end real estate brochure for a multi-multi-million dollar estate somewhere in Connecticut. And they handed him the brochure, and he's looking at the brochure and all the rooms and all the ornate furnishings. And at one point in time, it like a light went on in his head, and he asked the judge, is this my place? Well, they obviously were showing him the brochure because it was his place, and they were inquiring about the taxes on it or the debt on it. And that made an impression on me that you can have so much money. And he made $59 million in one year at the height of his career. It was all gone by the time he had this bankruptcy hearing is that you could purchase a place that it was probably in the double figure millions of dollars. And he wasn't even aware that he owned it. There was like a light bulb moment. Oh, wait, I, is this the house that I own? Cause he never stayed there. He owned a house worth more than $10 million. He never spent a night there. I'm sure that's an extreme case, but people can get sucked into things that seem like, oh, well, what's the harm? I've got plenty of money. Well, then one day you wake up and you don't have plenty of money. Well, he's a perfect example. I mean, he had a tiger. Yeah. And he had, I heard somewhere, I, this isn't verified, that he was spending like $100,000 a month on feed, bird seed for his flipping pigeons. So, I mean, if I'm making $59 million a year, does it matter? No, except for that. You don't own a company that generates $59 million a year every single year. You have a finite window of boxing, mm -hmm. right? And I think sometimes that's what happens is people, whether you're a football player, you're a lottery winner, whatever it is, you, I'm making $10 million a year. Yeah, but for a finite window. So you can't spend, it's different for you. If you're working at Nationwide Financial you know, here in Columbus and you're making $100,000 a year and you save... 15% of your income for your whole career, you're going to retire just fine. If you're making $10 million a year for five years and you save 15% of your income, you're not going to be just fine for the rest of your life because you're used to living on $8.5 million and one and a half multiplied by four or five years doesn't equate to $8.5 million for the rest of your life. So there's only one thing worse than being broke, and that's being broke and being really rich and then being really broke, because now you know what Rich looked like, and it was it's not a good fall from grace. No, it certainly is not, and that's what we want to prevent. That is what, of course, Josh and his team are hoping to help you avoid. A free consultation awaits you by calling the office and setting up your appointment. Aptus is located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750. Very easy to get to. You can make your consultation for your no-obligation free consultation by calling the office, 614-917-1040 or by making your appointment online at aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Now, those uh, insane amounts of money, flash, uh, you know, windfalls are not something that most people uh, have to blow. But one way that people can get caught off guard, Josh, is by a market condition that they did not see coming because for the longest time we were in a situation where you know, if you owned an index fund, you were going to get a pretty good return if you just left your money alone in the stock market. Everybody was used to a 20-year period where interest rates were very low. Now we are in a position in the last two years where people are dealing, a lot of them for the first time in their life, challenging situations to grow their retirement nest egg, and they have to make better decisions. They have to have somebody on the case. That's what you guys specialize in. How challenging have the past two years been for you in terms of dealing with your clients and most importantly, uh, adjusting to anticipating and reacting to these market conditions that have resulted in 
high inflation, higher interest rates, and greater volatility. Yeah, volatility is really the killer for investors. Um, I think inherently as investors, we all know that if we leave the money in, let's just use the market as a broad brushstroke, if we leave the money in the market for the next 20 years, we know we're going to have a lot more money 20 years from now than we do now. However, as much as we'd like to think that we can just put the horse blinders on and ignore everything that's happening, not even open the envelopes when they come in the mail, I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we know we all do to some capacity. Look at that. And even if we're not looking at our own stuff, just we all watch the news. And when you watch the news and you hear all this tumultuous stuff, it's going to be a uh, recession, mm-hmm. depression, stock market's going to go to, you know, going to go down to the, to zero. We start getting a lot of anxiety. And, you know, unfortunately, what we've been fed as, a, as, as clients, in my opinion, is two things that aren't necessarily the best ways to conquer that. Way number one is, well, just buy and hold. And do exactly what I just said. Just close your eyes and 20 years later, open your eyes back up and you'll be great. And that's true if we can actually do it. But there's something called the behavior gap, investor behavior gap. And this has been proven time and time again that there is a, there is a significant decline in your rate of return just by the decisions that you make on your own. So even if the market averages 7% over the next, you know, per year over the next 20 years, the average investor in the United States is going to average like three mm-hmm. because they're going to pull out at the wrong time and put right. the money back in. The other way is, well, I'm working with a financial advisor, and I'll use this as an example of somebody that I talked to literally this morning. He said, my financial advisor's, you know, he's pretty good. Nice, nice guy. Uh, I've been with him for a number of years. We get together every six months, and I go, well, what does that meeting look like? Well, he asks me my opinion on the investments. He gives me his opinion, and then we go with basically my opinion, and he moves stuff around. Well, how does that meeting occur? Well, when I call him. So your super strategic plan is, Whenever you call your person, you go meet with your person, and then that person moves some stuff around so it looks like they're doing something, which may or may not be at a really good time. And moves it around according to the client's kind direction? Okay. Yeah. So what ends up happening in that scenario? Well, fear and greed are your financial planners. Because what happened with this particular person is you know, he thought he was a moderate investor. That's the way he feels. He feels like, I don't like volatility that much. Well, then in... 2001, 2002, the market starts going crazy. Uh, 2001, excuse me. And in 2001, he goes, I mean, this thing just keeps on shooting up. I mean, I'm a moderate investor, but I I hear everybody making 20%. I'm making 12. So in 2021, let's go. And the advisor says, okay. And then 2022 hits and he's down 20%. He goes, I don't think I'm an aggressive investor anymore. Has another meeting. I think we should pull back the reins. Okay. So what do we just do? We bought high and sold low. That's not a strategy. No. Uh, So how should it be handled? It should be handled that you're still having meetings consistently with your advisor, but there should be discretionary authority given to your advisor to make changes when they see fit to all of their clients' accounts. And that might not be at the time that you think makes the most sense. So when we were pulling back the reins in 2021 and then you know, 2021 had a really good run at the end of the year and you look like a moron and all your clients are saying, Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? And we're saying the numbers, I I see what you're seeing as far as rates of return, but the risk metric that you're assuming for that, it's just not going to continue. And then 2022 hits and Oh, now I'm smart again. Right. So you have to start this relationship with client and advisor of one of long duration, which is why we use the blueprint process to show exactly what we do so that clients give us the ability 
to actually help them by knowing that this is a long-term process that they're bought into. If we would do our blueprint process in one meeting, we would be doing our clients a disservice because we wouldn't have them at a level of understanding to stick with the plan. And then when 2022 hit, well, thanks for paying us, but you paid us for nothing because you pulled all your money out and it, it did what it did. Yeah. I mean, let me take people behind the scenes a little bit. Like my wife and I are clients at Aptus and for us, if anybody asked me like, well, what do you have now that you didn't have before? Number one, I would say peace of mind. The reason why we have peace of mind is because I understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. And that's to me priceless because I had a fear that, okay, if we're managing this on our own, we're reacting to headlines. We're not proactive. We're reactive. And I wanted to find someone who is monitoring market conditions and volatility and scanning the financial horizon for danger out there to help me avoid that danger before I'm trying to react to it. So I would highly recommend you get that free consultation with Josh and his team. Learn about them. Learn about their process. They'll learn about you, too. I mean, it's a two-way street. You have to be a fit. 614-917-1040. 614-917-1040. You can set up your appointment online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And one of those things that might be out there on the horizon, this word that everybody's scared of, is a recession. And we hear all these forecasts about Oh, the recession, it's doom and gloom. Or no, it's going to be fine. We're going to have a uh, soft landing here. So Bank of America, a name everybody knows, uh, they uh, submitted uh, to an interview, I guess, uh, with someone here from, I think, Yahoo Finance. And the headline reads, Bank of America shares 12 charts that show that the economy is about to enter a full-blown recession. Now, I'm not saying this is Bank of America's position. This is the position of this particular uh, news organization that is framing it through that prism. But here are some of the things that they say are warning signs. A decline in manufacturing activity. A decline in manufacturing often coincides with lower earnings. Global earnings model suggests imminent decline. Steepening yield curve often precedes a recession. Price of oil, job market, on and on and on and on and on. What I'm interested in here is how much of what you do is keeping your eyes open to market conditions before those market conditions become headline on the first page of the Wall Street Journal. And that is really, I think, what uh, a person gets when they get a fiduciary, because a fiduciary is uh, what you are and what some financial planners are, where you are obligated to do what is best for the client. You're not putting them in investments because, oh, hey, I get paid X percent commission on this investment, and it's more than the other one, so I'm going to put them in the one with the highest commission. Yeah, all of that type of research goes uh, very significantly into the recommendations that we end up doing and how we manage money. And it's, it's definitely an interpretation game. It's, it's math and science and interpretation and all, all the things in between. Cause you know, I'm looking at an article right here, same time period from CNN that says banking crisis will tilt into a mild recession. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this is the interpretation of the recent fed meeting where the fed said, you know, we have a very small window to come in for a soft landing and we owe all this creative, you know, linguistics to try and wordsmith our way into whatever we're trying to pitch. Yeah, I mean, you can't find a headline to pretty much tell you whatever you want to hear. Right? And now we have algorithms yeah. that as soon as you find the one you like and you read it for a longer period of time, you just get force-fed more of the ones that you like, right? So it ends up being this echo chamber of what you want to hear. And that can be very dangerous, particularly on the gloom and doom side. 
Because if you read one gloom and doom article and they start force feeding it to them by the end of the night, yeah. you've had four bourbons and you're like, it's all coming yeah. to an end, right? Yeah. Get, in, get me out of the market. I want all my money. I'm putting it under my mattress. Yeah, you're right. The algorithms can be dangerous. I notice even on social media that, boy, I'm, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm sure like I'm reading every one of these stories. Wow, I'm retweeting every one of these stories. And I have the cognitive awareness like, wait a minute, they figured out what appeals to me and they're feeding me what they think I like, and base, they're basing that on what I've shown I like. And if there's one thing that rises to the top with humans, I mean, not to dive too deep into this, but, you know, we're not lions and tigers. So, you know, we're kind of, we're on two feet so we can run away from danger. Yes. So we already have this, you know, predisposal to, well, if it's bad, I better protect myself yeah, against to it. Yeah, to fear. Fear, we respond right. to fear. Right. So the more fear we send you, the better. But to, to circle back to your question about how much does that impact our investment decisions, I don't think right now you can ignore that the Fed has a significant impact on what the direction of the economy and the stock market is going to be. The Fed has a significant impact on what the bond market will do because there's an inverse relationship there between rising interest rates and bonds. But it doesn't influence all bonds equally. So, And also the rising interest rate environment is not going to affect all stocks equally. Uh, you know, Certain environments create a tailwind for different investments, and some create a headwind. And while we are not market timers, and we are not going to go, we're in the market, we're out of the market, we're in cash, we're in stocks, we will never do that. That is a loser's game. Mm -hmm. We will lean into certain areas of the market and lean away from others based upon what the economic forecast looks like. So think about things like consumer-sensitive investments and consumer-defensive investments. Defensive investments would be things like, even if it gets bad and you're sick, you're going to give up your health care last. If things are bad and you don't have a lot of money, you're going to give up toilet paper long after you've already given up your Netflix subscription, mm -hmm. right? Or your priorities are really askew. So are certain investments, quote unquote, safer than others? Absolutely. If you know that there's, you know, uh, a huge change like green energy, Right. There is no question, nobody would argue right now that the initiative in the federal government is electric vehicles. Whether you like it or you hate it, I don't care. That is the big push. Yep. So how can you make money investing knowing that? We pay a lot of attention to that. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And the danger in not being proactive, in not evaluating things as they happen, Josh, we're seeing that play out with the Federal Reserve, where they're now trying to get their arms around rising inflation and their one attack mechanism is to raise interest rates and they are taking a lot of criticism from a lot of financial people that you guys were telling us that rising prices was a normal occurrence out of the pandemic that inflation was not a fear nobody had to worry about it and okay they're you know experts at the fed and all that but when you're an investor and you make a mistake like that in not evaluating things, not seeing trouble coming before the trouble's actually on your doorstep, that can have a dramatic impact on your retirement savings. And those are the things that I know that you and the Aptus team are really, really dedicated to keeping away from your client's doorstep. Yeah, and it's important to remember that the numbers don't lie, but politicians always will, right? So what we hear on the 24-hour news cycle is going to pump us full of that fear and greed. And if we base our economic decisions or our financial decisions based upon the emotions that we receive off of that, you're destined for doom. 
And we've talked many times on previous shows about how they know that and they will use that to your advantage to sell whatever widget they're trying to sell you, whether it's gold or food for your basement or whatever it might be. But the reality is price to earnings ratios in a company matter. How much am I buying this stock for? And I'm not talking about it's a $200 share or $300 share, but how many multiples of what this company actually earns am I paying for this stock? What kind of patents does this particular company have that's going to build a moat around it that's going to be very difficult for another company to compete with? These are all very important things that if if I told you you want to start a franchise with Jimmy John's or something like that, you would personally look into. But for whatever reason, we don't buy stocks that way. As normal individuals buy stocks based upon emotion, not based upon can I actually make money off of this thing. So you need to have somebody sometimes that's a barometer of logic that says not only – do I think you shouldn't do that? But I think that maybe uh, we should learn how we should be doing it, and then we can be a cohesive team to make the right decision. Yeah, and that's what, again, I found to be so true of Josh and his team's approach. And we talk about a lot of concepts here. We talk about a lot of different uh, investment avenues. We talk about annuities and life insurance, and we talk about bonds and treasuries and stocks and index funds and funds that you know give you some of the upside of a market and mitigate some of the downside of the market they're not enslaved to one particular strategy they are uh, dedicated as fiduciaries doing what is uh, the best for you uh, legally obligated doing what is best for you set up your consultation 614-917-1040 aptus wealth aptus aptuswealth.com The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.